0: Hello everybody and welcome to another Culture and Coffee podcast. Monday the 21st of November, 2022, 22. and I'm in Copenhagen, or oh, Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Copenhagen, Copenhagen. I always try, whenever I travel, I always try and use the language, you know, I always feel like a bit of a lazy Englander, if I don't at least give it a crack, and, um, yeah, and they speak perfect English here. I, I'm just always amazed just how well people, people speak English and in, um, so in awe of people who have talked about this before, uh, who who are bilingual. Uh, such a skill to have. I really should do it when I get a in it. I'm not prioritising it. I know what you're thinking, Colin. You did a podcast on prioritisation. You're clearly just not prioritising it. I know. You're absolutely right. I'm definitely not prioritising it. When we're watching, uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I could be learning a new language. Yeah, I don't know why I'm watching that. I blame my brother. He said, you've got to watch it. It's car crash TV. I never watch anything like that at all. Um, and they introduced an English politician who was not very popular. And now I'm kindly, mildly fascinated. I'll get out of it. Don't worry. I know. I know you should be worried. You should. You should. Yeah, phone. Phone a medical professional. I will get out of I've got a book to write. Yeah. So I'm in the uh, Coffee Collective uh, in Kristen Bernerkovs Garda I think I said that right. Kristen Bernerkovs Gilder, Gilder, I think that's what it is. In Copenhagen, uh, it's a fantastic little place. I'm actually sat outside, so you come through the front door. There's a cool little coffee shop, some music playing. Just focus on the simple things, uh, just uh, coffee and a couple of pastries. I've already had a croissant, truth be told. I was, I was a bit peckish, and then you come out the back, and it's this beautiful. I guess we would call it an arcade in England. It's like a beautiful, covered arcade. It's, uh, there's maybe one, two, three storeys, and then there are plants hanging down. I don't know if they're real or not, actually. I can't, know. they can't be real. Oh, no, maybe they are real. These beautiful trees. Anyway, I'll post a picture of me, only if you're interested in that kind of thing, self-indulgently posting pictures of myself. Um, and it's all covered over. It's beautiful, it's a bit echoey. So uh, you might hear some of the noises echo in, in this, um, okay, because imagine it gets pretty chilly here in the, uh, in the winter, it gets dark, definitely, it was dark at four o'clock last night, uh, it was chilly, but it wasn't, wasn't too bad, which was good, um, <laughs> almost gave the weather update the the standard English weather update, I've got, um, yeah, and what I love, and for those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while is when they tell you little little bits and pieces about the the actual coffee itself uh, which they do here which is great Um, and it's a kenyan coffee so the uh, it's actually uh, due south of mount kenya national park Uh, it's a kieni coffee and on the on the website on the coffee collective website they detail kind of the uh, the growers, um, you know, a little bit. It's managed by Joseph Karayuki uh, since 2010. So it's got the whole history. You can see the farm on the map, and uh, it talks about the things that they do. Fabulous, fabulous. So it's a Kenyan coffee. Let me just have a little taste here. Uh, Kenyan coffee tends to be quite acidic. Which it is, um, but it's, it's got a real nice... Fruitiness to it as well. Um, kind of a bit strawberry ish, I, I suppose. Anyway, sorry, took a bigger drink. But I'm spitting feathers here. Um, so, yes, so I'm up. The other thing that I would say about um, when you travel, and again, I know it's an obvious statement, but you get a different perspective on the lives that people lead. I know it's, it's, it's obvious, but, but not, you know, because the conversation I had a meeting on Friday talking about some of the work challenges now of course in australia we were heavily affected by the lockdowns particularly in victoria uh, and here not so much now that's not to say the pandemic wasn't a thing of course it was it was a thing everywhere it's not to say they didn't take it seriously of course they did they just didn't lock down to the extent that we did so challenges around hybrid working for example exist only in pockets whereas it's a uh, Kind of a widespread it's not a challenge it's more of an opportunity I suppose in Australia you know so I've spoken to a couple of companies and and hundred uh, percent in the office and and have been and that's what to say everybody is but you know for me learning about these different lived experiences is uh, is really interesting this week i'm in in both Germany and Austria, so again I get to see a different lens on that again and and kind of find out what they went through I was in Italy earlier this year and obviously they had it quite tough again quite different so I you know it, it, it's just useful to hear how other people uh, have gone through these almost these crises and of course you've, the Ukraine is only a two-hour flight from here so they've got that to consider too. Today's uh, podcast I'm going to talk about how toxic leaders kill culture. I did a um, Podcast earlier this year here on Culture and Coffee about how to deal with a toxic boss. So, the answers to this podcast you can find in that podcast. Uh, But I had an interesting question uh, from somebody, and I hadn't really ever considered it to be honest. And they said, How do I know? I was like, What? How do I know if I've got a toxic boss? I thought that was a really, really good question, because obviously there are, there are some extremes of behavior where you're like, Wow, that person is toxic, and usually by the way that they treat you or um, you know bullying harassment, all of these things by the way that they say things, they can be nasty, they can be all of the bad isms and, and and so it was a really, really valid question I was like wow that's really good and I promised I would cover it on a podcast so so here we go covering it on this podcast is how you would spot so these are the things that typically aren't in plain sight I always think that bullying harassment some of those things the way that you know kind of disrespect those things are in clear sight you know when, when someone's you know kind of shouting and screaming at someone yeah you know that's them not keeping their emotions in check they try and make excuses for it but of course it's, it's never acceptable in the workplace and these things take a, a, a heavy toll, and they're more common than we'd like to admit. I was reading some research from MIT Sloan, who found that one in 10 workers say that their workplace culture is toxic. And this was like 30,000 people, I think they tweeted that One in 10, that's, that's a lot. They're more common, like I said, they're more common than, than we'd like to um, admit, you know? And I think that. You know, given that they inflict serious harm uh, and and you know have a serious impact on employees, it's really something that managers, leaders, employees should be good at looking for the signs. So, so these are these are kind of the little things I would say. Now, of course, not not all of them necessarily mean that these people are bad humans. They don't. They just don't necessarily. They're not. Probably necess- uh, uh, self-aware enough to understand how these things have an have an impact. Also, if you're using this as a bit of a tick list, um, yeah, it's a good it's a good self-awareness exercise. Like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Got that. All right. So, let's give you some of these things and how to spot if you've got a, a, a toxic boss or, or maybe someone who hasn't who doesn't quite understand what it means to lead. So, first, the first thing that I wrote down here is they impose their ideas without consultation t- with others. So in this, uh, now don't get me wrong, don't, don't mistake this for making the decision. At some stage, a leader has to make a decision and say we're going that way, we're going this way, whatever it might be, all right, so it's, it's, it, it's not about that. It's about them saying kind of it's my way or the highway. With these kind of people, what they do is they'll ask you for your opinion, but they'll listen to respond rather than listen to understand. I'd right. say yeah that's a good idea but everything's got a but with these people but, 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 but they use that word all the time But, but, but. And, and, and they like to talk over the top of you as well so sometimes they're not even listening at all they're just they're just ticking a box to say I ask someone but what they want to do is really kind of impose their ideas on you uh, without kind of really considering what a different way uh, might actually look like. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I've written down here is they never apologize, like never apologize. And again, they'll try and make excuses for that. It's my job to challenge. It's my job to kind of make sure we make the right decision. They'll do do everything in their power to excuse their own behavior, Uh, but they won't apologize. Uh, so they lack that humility, and they, 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 you know, another thing leading up from that is they never ask for feedback. So they're not interested necessarily in the opinions of others about themselves. And I think that's one of the things that great leaders do is they're always looking to grow as humans as well as to grow um, professionally. All right. So they don't—they never apologize. Uh, the next thing is that they expect more than people are capable of so um they will constantly put more work on people they 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 kind of cursorily ask oh how much have you got on today what have you got on what do you need to get done um and and they're cognizant of the fact that most people only have eight hours of de- in the day and not even that really you know i think written research have shared this in the past it's about 6.2 hours of productive time we have available in our working day when you account for breaks and all of those other really really important things I'll come back to that one in a second but they do they they, they constantly put more and more work they expect more and more they don't set expectations really well around that leading to more and more questions greater ambiguity um, And then the expectation, they're constantly messaging and on the phone, where's that, where's that, where's that, where's that. that?" So so you feel completely and utterly overwhelmed. Now, they may be getting pressure downwards, but, you know, it's their job to be the umbrella here and to make sure that they filter it down in a way that you don't feel overwhelmed or you don't feel like you're drowning in work. Um, And then, you know, kind of aligned to that is the fact that they... And expect you to be on in inverted commas all the time there's no time for lunch there's no time to break there's no time to go to the bathroom you know and often this plays out in back to back to back 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 meetings all right is that the expectation is you don't take a break you keep working 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 of course yeah you know and you might be like oh well that's the nature of it no it's not um, and what all of these things do, I'll just stop off way right here <laughs> um, just to give you a breather from this you know cavalcade of negativity um, is that all of these things undermine the culture. you feel burnt out, you feel exhausted. what you start doing is you start talking about this individual with your workmates, which you don't want to do, you feel like you have to have that kind of outlet to talk about. It drains your productivity, it drains your engagement, the things that we need to be successful. You you feel fearful of being able to speak up. You don't feel like you're able to bring your best self to work, or even your average self to work, right? You feel like you're bringing a tired, disheveled, exhausted, burnt out shell of a person to work. Have you ever had those days? I've definitely had those days in the past. I feel like I'm dragging myself to work. Um, the next thing I have on my list, just to go back to the cavalcade of negativity, which I've now called, I might call this a, a episode the cavalcade of negativity, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, um, is they see team building as a waste of time. So they'll talk a good game when it comes to culture, but then they'll instantly kill it by not providing any time or any money for it. So when you, when you and the team are like, oh, it'd be great to go away for a day, and I, I don't mean go, and by go away, I don't mean go to like a Ibiza and live it all, oh, you could do, I suppose, you don't really do that for a day. Um, but, you know, go off-site for a day to talk about our strategy and how we're going to deliver it, and I've talked about this in the past, that every team should do this. They talk a good game and they'll say things like, we haven't got time. We haven't got time to do that. We haven't got the budget to do that. We just need to get on with it, right? They take this real Nike approach to culture. Just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. And it, it, it kind of almost betrays um, what we know to be true, which is the fact that it's only when we agree how we're going to work together that we actually get stuff done. And this is where employees really do need to kind of work together to stand up for this and to really insist that it's something that you get done you know it's something that i used to do but only because early on i faced that in my career no we're not going to do that no we don't have time to do that and then everything the way that we worked together was so clunky um until you know kind of as employees we used to get together so this this is you know this is what we need to do and, and you know we're not going to stop talking about it until we actually do it and then it was incumbent on them to 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 find the money to do it but they do they seem they see team, team builders a waste of time and, and, and then aligned to that when money is tight when budget is tight the first thing that they cut is development right, that's the first thing that goes there are pet projects over there you know uh, pet projects that are draining operational expenditure and, and other activities that are costing money um, and and roles that are vacant that we don't need right now, if we would only reduce the amount of work that we've got, in order to maintain staff development, there's this mistaken view that it's, you know, and we call it discretionary spend, staff development should never be discretionary, it should be absolutely critical to the development of the organisation, that we take the time to build the capabilities of our staff. Even if it's just them building the culture of the team for a couple of days every year. Even if it's just that, there's so much that we can learn from each other. There's so much that we can learn by kind of creating an environment where we're better able to share ideas. Um, and and it's, it should never be the thing that we go. In, in times of, you know, kind of financial hardship, companies expect more of people which means that they should double down on their learning and development and make sure that they develop staff. And toxic leaders don't do that. They don't see a value in it. They're like, no, that's the first thing that goes. It used to be travel and accommodation, um, which to a point I kind of got because we were able to do things from audio, by audio conference. Now we definitely can with video conference. Um, and, uh, and aligned to that around um, development is that these people kind of stifle creativity. So they don't make time and they don't allow you to make time for creativity. Now we know that innovation happens when we make time for creativity and then we follow through on those ideas. If you're always, always, always too busy for creativity, then you're never gonna come up with any new ideas. And when you don't come up with new ideas, nothing ever changes, and eventually you will stagnate. And then every now and again, senior leadership will be like, we need some innovation, we need innovation, come on, we need... But we've stifled creativity for so long that we almost forget how to do it. And we have to create a different environment then to really drive it out of our people. Whereas if we made it a regular occurrence, we would have a pipeline of ideas that we could execute on at any time. Toxic leaders don't do that. They kill it. We haven't got time. We haven't got time. Just concentrate on the job at hand. It's all about task, 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 task. And of course, the way to make time is to actually prioritise really, really well. And that's another thing that toxic leaders don't do. They don't prioritise the work. You've never got that assurance. You've never got that certainty, sorry. You've never got that certainty of what is the most important thing. It's always guesswork, or else everything seems to be the important thing, right? And when everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. So that's another thing that they do, is they stifle creativity. The last thing that I've got is they pay lip service to diversity and inclusion. Now, I touched on this at the beginning uh, when I talked about ideas. Um, Because obviously, you know, kind of cognitive, from a cognitive diversity perspective, what we want is different ideas from different people with different backgrounds so we can get the best solution. Um, But for them, diversity and inclusion is seen as a bit of a program. There's often groupthink in these teams where there's too many people from the same backgrounds who look the same. Um, It's the same with values. Um, They, you know, if your company has values, they expect everybody else to live them, but then they don't do it themselves um so yeah no so there's some i guess how toxic leaders kill culture because what they do really is is stop any kind of forward momentum because they're too focused on the task they're too focused on their own ego or else the behaviors are just so poor that it drains the life out of people um you know, for some of them, their behavior is so toxic, they have to wear hazmat suits in meetings, you know, you just don't want to go anywhere, you know, so poisonous, you know, you have to send for a handler instead of HR and stick them in a bag. Anyway, like I said, um, they're just some examples of, of kind of how to spot a toxic leader, how they kill culture, and if you're looking for some advice on how to deal with them, go back and have a look at the, uh, and listen to the earlier podcast on how... Uh, to deal with a toxic boss. I hope you've enjoyed today's cavalcade of negativity and look forward to speaking to you soon. Terafana.